Who's now ready? That's it. All right, cool. Well, um, this message is a unique title called Sweet and Sour. Sometimes uh, I like to be a little bit mysterious. I don't like to be too obvious at times because, you know, particularly when you're in the house of God and you're under teaching week after week after week. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, what's this about? Okay. So, um, and I think that's the way we should position ourselves when we actually hang out with the Bible ourselves. You know, sometimes we've read a Bible story, what, numerous times, or we're familiar with that scripture. But, you know, when you, when you get in front of the, the, the Word of God and it's illuminated because you're uh, in the presence of the Lord, who knows that there's something new that can be revealed to you from that scripture or that story, even if you've read it multiple times. And I love th- th- when people are in that place of faith and expectation and how they relate with the Word. You know, the, the, the Word of God really is like fresh bread coming out of the oven. Every time when you go with that expectation that there's something supernaturally new that God can actually bring into my life by me interacting with the Word of God, uh, that's, I think, the best way uh, to, to kind of position ourselves around the Word of God. Well, uh, today I'm going to talk about this message called Sweet and Sour. Uh, Anyone here who remembers the times in Australia where the only real main takeaway choice uh, besides pizza was Chinese? Do you remember those days? And now you have Thai and you have, uh, what else do you have? You have, someone help me out here. I've gone blank. We're Indian, right? Does anyone know the popularity rankings of takeaway in Australia right now? Okay, the number one takeaway food in Australia right now is Indian. Did you know that? Uh, The number two takeaway food in Australia is Thai. That's actually getting it delivered to your home or or actually going out and and bringing it home, right? Uh, I'm not talking about the standard burger place that you'd go to. Obviously, that's always popular, right? But the takeaway, bringing it to your home. Number one is Indian. Number two is Thai. And I think number three is uh, pizza. Uh, Yeah, fish and chips is is on the list, definitely. Um, But back in the day... You know, the, that day when I was a young man, um, th- there was pretty much Pizza Hut, right? And uh, remember Pizza Hut when it was all-you-can-eat buffet and you got your gingerbread man? And do you know that Pizza Hut are bringing back all-you-can-eat? Get out, right? Okay? To push back the, our Domino's, who's actually really eaten into Pizza Hut's market over the last 15 years. Just a little bit of info. I know this is really spiritually important to you right now. Okay? All right? And this is all my message is about, just giving you updates on takeaway stats. No, I'm only joking, all right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Pizza Hut's bringing about all you can eat, right? But my point is, is that, you know, remember in, in, in the option with Chinese... When, you know, the funny thing about Chinese, when it was popular then, it's not so popular now. Uh, in fact, most Chinese business people who go into food actually open a Japanese restaurant. Did you know that? Did you know that right now? They usually op- open like a sushi with what, with what have you. Some of the real uh, traditionalists still stick with Chinese, but most of them have op- op- open a Japanese restaurant because they usually do better and they make more money. But back in the day when it was just pretty much pizza or Chinese as your option, my, I remember my family, we used to order sweet and sour pork as one of the options. Has anyone had sweet and sour pork? I mean, it's ridiculously bad for you. It's basically a little tiny piece of pork that's not really good quality pork, right? A bit sinewy. And they deep fry that just to loosen it up a little bit. Then they wrap it with lots of batter and then they deep fry that again. And then they pour this kind of pinky sauce all over with like a couple of pieces of onion and a little piece of pineapple just to kind of make you think it's kind of healthy, right? And it's just layered in this sweet and sour sauce. And sweet and sour sauce is quite an unusual flavor because it's sweet, but it's also sour. Who's ever had sweet and sour sauce before? I know Sarah chooses sweet and sour sauce when she has chicken McNuggets. 
I choose. What do I choose? What is it? Mayo or mustard? Yeah, anyway. There is more depth. This message is coming. Amen. Sweet and sour. So what I wanted to, to do is to talk about a really critical message today that the Lord's put on my heart to bless everyone. And that is the notion of sometimes in life, particularly spiritually, there are some things that we may think will be sweet, but then they end up being sour. And then there are some things that we may presume will be sour, but actually they end up being sweet. Has anyone experienced this before? And this whole notion of sweet versus sour. So I want to talk about that there is a bit of a mix-up. Everyone say mix-up. There's a mix-up sometimes in our thinking and our lives around what really is sweet for our life and what really is sour. You know, when you, have you ever gone to bite into a piece of fruit expecting it to be sweet, but it actually is sour? Have you ever been to like a buffet and there's like fruit there and you think that's a piece of orange or you think it's a piece of mandarin, but it's a piece of grapefruit? Have you ever done that? The grapefruit debacle, right? And you, you, you go and you expect it to be sweet and you expect it to burst in your mouth full of that sweet, yummy citrus flavor and it bursts and it's citrus, but it's sour, right? And you go with that, with that expectation of it to be... But it goes... You know, spiritually, sometimes in life, I think we can battle with going to make a choice and we think it's going to be but it ends up being sour. And I want to talk about this because I think the reality of this actually causes a lot of frustration, it causes a lot of heartache, and it causes a lot of disappointment in people of God. And I want to bring this word to help us maybe to realign. What is perceived to be sweet Sometimes turns out sour. What is perceived to be sour turns out sweet. And this analogy today, I want to introduce with the relationship between two critical things that we think about a lot. And that is the interesting relationship between freedom and discipline. Everyone say freedom. Everyone say discipline. See, so many people, including men and women of God particularly, because the Bible talks about it. So many want freedom, yet so few truly understand how to get freedom. Who knows that to get freedom, there is a price. And I want to talk about the reality of how freedom and discipline relate and how our misunderstanding about how they relate therefore creates this false expectation and a false desire or a false hunger and we make the wrong choices and then we get the wrong kind of kickback from those choices when we're thinking that something's going to be sweet for our life and it ends up being sour. And so I'm going to talk about this scripture first from Romans. If we could throw that out, please, AV team, in Romans chapter 6. And we're going to just read through various scriptures, this particular passage I want you to make a note of this. It's Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. So if you do any further study or get into the Word this week, this would be a great place to start to, 
to kind of grab a hold of what this message has. So we'll start with verse 15. It says, what then? What then? Great little question just to get our attention. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? It's a question. So should we just go and do whatever we want, whenever we feel like it, just because God has given us grace and saved us by grace and forgiven us, forgiven us our sins? And then it answers it straight away in the same verse. It says three words, by no means, exclamation mark. As in it's saying, don't have that attitude, don't have that mindset. That just because God has saved you by grace, just because he's, he's washed you clean, not because of what you've done, but by the blood of Jesus... You've been set free. Everyone say free. That doesn't mean that we respond to that by just going, yippee, I've been set free, so now I can really be free to do whatever I want, whenever I want, whatever I feel like. It's saying don't do that. Then verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... We'll get into what this is all about in a second. You are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Watch this. It's basically saying that it doesn't matter where you're at, at the end of the day, at some point, you have to be a slave to something. Now, don't, don't look at the word slave as that horrible, nasty kind of connotation. There's actually some really good stuff about it, and we're going to look at that in a minute in terms of spiritually, right? But it's basically saying you actually have a choice in life, and this is where discipline comes in and how discipline actually births true freedom in your life, where a lot of times we think true freedom is when I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's what real freedom is. The Bible says that actually isn't really freedom. In fact, what it does is it will enslave you. In fact, you're a slave to sin and you're a slave to the lack of discipline. And you're a slave to something that initially in the first little while may seem quite sweet. But it ends up being a whole lot more sour than you ever imagined. It's saying at the end of the day, you have to be either slave to sin or you have to be slave to righteousness. And that is righteous before God, not because you're perfect, but because God's perfect and died as a sacrifice in your place and paid the price for the wages of sin is death. So he died on your behalf so that you could be set free from the power of sin. But then you have to respond and now die to self and live for Christ and you're a slave to righteousness and that is what truly sets you free. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. Obey from your heart the pattern of teaching sounds a lot like discipline, sounds a lot like discipleship, doesn't mean perfection, but means committed to growing and learning in the ways and the principles and the lifestyle that God wants you to flow in. Thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin, but you have come to obey from your heart, first the relationship. 
the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Look at the word allegiance. Allegiance to who? Your Lord, your Master, your Savior, your King. And you come with a humble heart. Remember we said this year, there are two keys to doors opening. A dominion mindset, but also a humble heart. See, when, you're, when you see yourself, not as a disheveled slave, but as someone who's surrendering. We sang that beautiful third song about surrender. When someone is surrendering and saying, I'm here to serve you, Lord. You're my God. You've set me free. My response is, I'm going to live for you. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a slave to righteousness. I am right before you because you love me first. And my response to that free gift that I didn't have to work for is to partner with you, to walk with you, to do everything I can, to be everything you've called me to be so I can glorify your name on the earth today. Who says that that's freedom? Come on now. That's true freedom. That, in the long-term church, will make your life taste so sweet. Will it be perfect? No. Will there be times when you fall down? Yes. But the Lord will reach out to you like the perfect friend that the Bible says that he is, and he will pull you out of that place of discomfort, and he'll bring you back into a place of victory, and he'll say, now hold your head high, because you are not a slave of sin, and therefore shame has no place over you. You've been set free from the curse. Now run forward, even though you tripped us before, because I have grace for you, but keep going and run the race, for the prize is set before you. God is so good. He's a good God, church. He's a great God. His love is always enduring towards you and I. Let's pursue after that great God. Because he is always wanting to set us free. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Everyone say, hip, hip, hooray, I'm free. Nineteen. I am using an example from every. This is what the Bible says, verse nineteen. So Paul is actually saying here, guys. I'm actually using an example. He's talking about slave. He goes. So as human beings, we can get it. And he's even saying this. Church. It's not even the perfect analogy because it, we're not like slaves, slaves to God, but we are surrendered to the Lord with a willing heart to actually do what he's asking us to do so we can be free and we can activate the freedom that God paid the price for on the cross. He even admits in this next verse, guys, the word slave, the analogy isn't as great as I'd like it to be, but I'm going to use it just so our human minds, which sometimes is limited in understanding how God works and the heartbeat of God so we can actually get it, so we can embrace it and run with it. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Oh, thanks, Paul. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Now, when you unpack the word holiness, it means to be made whole. It means freedom. It doesn't mean holy as now. Right? It means whole. When you start to live this life called a disciplined life, it actually sets you free and the, the taste of it is sweet. 
Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Interesting. So what that means is, listen now, catch this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control and the boundaries and, yes, the deliberate limitations of discipline. When you chose to just do whatever you want, whenever you wanted, because it felt good, you were not submitted to discipline. And see, this is the thing. Sometimes we think, because God has bought our life for the price, He gives us permission to, to just do whatever we want. The Bible says, that's not how you should respond. Because watch this. Even if you're saved, your life can still taste sour if you keep choosing to be a slave to sin. Do you know that you and I are destined to have a sweet life? An even sweeter life in eternity. Amen. There'll always be moments in life where you'll have things that may seem a bit sour. But overall, as you walk this path and be set free, God wants to flavor your life with sweetness, where you can have and develop a sweet spirit, where your home can be filled with love and unity and focus and vision, rather than chaos, confusion, disappointment, disillusionment, fear, abandonment, rejection. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? As in, he's basically saying, how sweet did that actually taste eventually? How sweet did it taste eventually when you decided to kind of keep making that choice in the past? See, it kind of t- promised to be sweet, but after a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, oh, I'm sure it turned sour. That's what the Bible's saying here. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Verse 22, but now, everyone say now. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Everyone say, yes. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. My American brothers would say, Dr. Bill Hammer would say, hallelujah. And he'd probably extend that another three minutes. It's got a bigger bella than I have. More air. Let me illustrate this. Freedom does not mean the absence of rules, church. Freedom does not mean the absence of discipline in alignment to God's principles. Freedom does not mean we're called to just do whatever we want, whenever we want, because it sits under the banner of grace. You can make that choice. But that's not how God designed it to be. And the, 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 the problem that comes from making that poor choice is your life, literally, even though you worship a God that's sweet, 
your life will not reflect Christ. Your life will not reflect the true flavor of heaven. Your life will seem more sour than it is sweet. Freedom does not mean the absence of rules. We live in a free country. Who knows Australia's free? It's a free country, right? It's a beautiful country. Who loves Australia? Okay, now everyone be quiet. I'm going to ask this particularly to the Kiwis. Kiwis, who loves Australia? Excellent. I love, I love doing that. Woo! We live in a free country, but I am not free to go into your house and take your television. Am I? I can't just do whatever I want whenever I want. I'm in a free country, but I still have to abide by rules in order for that freedom to flourish. In fact, if we had no law, if we had no police, if we had no mentors, coaches, accountability, bosses, managers, parents, teachers, if we had no people in accountability to make sure and encourage and hold people accountable in, 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 in alignment to certain rules and regulations that actually protects our freedom, who knows that our society would become incredibly unruly and that life and society would turn quite sour quite quickly. There are laws in a free country. People come to live in Australia because it offers an opportunity for a better way of life, not because it lacks laws. The same is true about living for God. Come on now. People come into the kingdom of God because God promises a better way of life. A life that will bring you into eternity. A life that will give you a cause that's so exciting to run with that it will beat any other purpose on planet Earth. A life where you just trying to do things in your own strength will be trumped by the ability to tap into the supernatural power of God, the same power that rose the very beautiful Jesus from the grip of death. That's the invitation. And so the invitation is attractive. Who thinks the invitation is attractive? Doesn't mean, though, we... We go into the kingdom of God and now go, great, now that I'm here and I've actually been able to come in here and it's free and I've got grace and I've got forgiveness and uh, it's nothing by what I've done but the blood of Jesus washes me clean doesn't mean that now we just live an unruly life. So what's the issue here? The first part of the scripture says, what then? What then? In verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And it says, by no means. To live under grace means freedom to not do what we want but what we ought. It means freedom for obedience, not an excuse for disobedience. I've got three words for you. And not, there's not every Sunday that I mention the word sin, but can I tell you, as a local church, it's important to talk about sin. If all of our words were about prosperity, provision, blessing, 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 come, come to the altar, get your blessing. Here comes the Lord, He's got love for you. Love, grace, mercy, let it pour out like salt and pepper, flavor your life. Come to the front. Prosperity. Provision. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Everyone go. Can I tell you why? I was on a cruise ship with my beautiful family for 12 days. 
And can I tell you what I'm about to, to, to talk about? It doesn't mean that I'm not, I don't have gratitude. It was an awesome thing that, <laughs> for us. It was an amazing thing. But you know what I learned about being on a cruise ship with 5,000 people holidaying for 12 days in a row? Is for the first three days, it was awesome. Buffet breakfast, buffet lunch, buffet dinner, free ice cream. Extra ice cream, top up your soft drink. I'm sorry, you've only had two sips, but maybe I need to get you another drink just to compliment that one. It was just excess. One of the biggest cruise ships in the world. Amazing. I'm thankful. <laughs> Everyone say, but. What you learn is, after the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day, the eighth day, the ninth day, by the tenth day, you walk into breakfast and no one's smiling anymore. <laughs> Where the first day, because on these cruise ships, so that, you know, there's hygiene, because a lot of times on cruises people get sick because they don't wash their hands, everyone's like gross, right? But to go into the buffet restaurant, you're forced like cattle to go into this area where you have to wash your hands. And to make it somewhat inviting, they have one of the staff there with a guitar singing, Washy, 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 happy, 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 washy, 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 happy, happy, happy. So the first day, you're like, oh, hi, oh. And little Zara, oh, isn't this cute? And you go in, washy, 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 happy, happy, happy. Come out, eaty, 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 all I wanty, wanty. More, 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 yay, yay, yay. <laughs> and then you go to the pool and you sit down and just do nothing. And then you might dive in the pool for a little while and then you, you get up and by the time you've been in the pool, sun for a while, you go back into the restaurant, eaty, 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 washy, washy, washy. So by the 10th day, you rock into breakfast and she's there going, happy, 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 washy, washy. And people are like, elbowing people out of the way. Get out of my way. You walk in. Where's the seat? There's too many people. Sick of this. Where's my hash browns? They haven't got any more hash browns. Where's the hash browns gone? You're right now. This is a cruise ship. What are you doing? So you think it's going to be just sweet. Everything's going to be sweet. 12-day cruise ship is a perfect example of people just doing whatever they want, whenever they want, as much as they want, on steroids. <laughs> and it starts really sweet, and then it starts to go a bit sour. Right? Now, it was great, but I'm going to be honest with you. By the 10th day, okay, my family know what I'm talking about, because I've told them multiple times. On the 10th day of breakfast, they thought it was a bit weird, but I'm letting you know. Has anyone here seen the movie The NeverEnding Story? You know the soundtrack, the never-ending story. Well, I was sitting there, slightly lethargic because I'd eaten way too much over the cruise. Done no exercise. I promised my PT, yes, I'll go to the gym every day. (laughs) First seven days been passed. Didn't even know where the gym was. Last five days, I said, honey, I think I need to go to the gym. Not because, because I felt so lethargic. Because I'd had so n- not discipline for seven days. I'm just like, oh, it really was sweet the first couple of days, but it's not very sweet anymore this hour. I need to run or do something. And um, so I'm at the breakfast by the 10th day. 
I'm kind of looking out and I'm kind of zoning out going, the never ending cruise. Oh, 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 oh. When are we gonna get off this boat? Oh, 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 oh. Because our whole life, right? And on a holiday, you go to rest and relax. But can I just tell you, it was just like 12 days of absolutely like, do whatever you want, whatever you want. No routine, no discipline, no one to report to, no real accountability. And uh, you can't actually live successfully when you do that too much. Right? See, our definition of freedom is that, right? Make enough money so you don't have a boss to report to and... You know, you don't have to be held accountable. They don't have to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and then get breakfast and shower and happening so that you have to get to work by a certain time to actually, you know, build someone else's dream. And, 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 and but it's to pay the bills. And then you get home. And, and, and sometimes the world teaches us that that's really just not free, right? You know, the reality is when you live a disciplined life with routine and structure, it actually buys you freedom. So Richard Branson, I'm not necessarily saying I'm a fan of him, but interesting, he got interviewed by some journalists, and the journalist said, so what is it like to be one of the richest men in the world, which means basically you don't have to report to anyone, and if you go to one of your tropical islands and sip on a cocktail all day, what's that like? Do you know what he said? He said, well, to be honest with you, I actually did that a couple of seasons ago. He said, it was the worst season of my life. And journalist's like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I went to a tropical island and I pretty much did whatever I wanted. I didn't have any discipline. I didn't have to report to anyone. I didn't have any goals. I basically just did whatever I felt with flight right at the moment. I lived in excess. And he said, I got depressed. I did things where I didn't, you know, protect my body. My thought life was starting to go pear-shaped. I started to lose any sense of routine, structure. I started to feel confused. I started to lose vision. I started to feel lethargic. And he said, because of that season where I thought freedom was that, and yet the fruit was that I actually became a slave to just doing whatever I wanted. He said, from that season onwards, I now, Sir Richard Branson said, I now pay about four or five mentors or coaches full-time to be in my life, to hold me accountable so I stick to my routine, so I stay set into a structure, so I can actually achieve my goals and I can actually be free because I'm seeing fruitfulness come from my life. See, sometimes even as a man of God, the world will try and teach you that really when you're free is when, you know, you're financially free, you don't have to do anything. Well, can I say this? I'm a big believer in becoming financially you know, a good steward. But can I tell you, sometimes there's teaching about financial freedom. I know very, very successful business people who even are in systems that, buy fin- that promise financial freedom. But the reality is they've gotten to the top 
But when you sit down with them, honestly, they still have to have routine, structural organization, and they still have to manage people. They have to be accountable to other people in order for them to continue the success that they've gotten to. Come on, come on, church. Let's awaken to the reality that it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. The Lord is asking us to understand that a structure and ordered and disciplined life is a life that you and I are called to lead because that will bear much better fruit and that will lead to true freedom. I believe there's been some people that have mentally been enslaved. Sounds quite vicious, but I just mean in their mind, they've been believing a lie. And that, that is life will only really become enjoyable when you can, you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want. Can I tell you, life is not enjoyable when you live like that. It's not. I know my life is sweet because I'm faithful to my wife. I know my life is sweet because I've got to have my sexual discipline in alignment so I'm faithful to my wife. If I was to not have that, my life will turn sour very quickly. I know that my business life, for it to be sweet, I have to be switched on, organized. I have to be you know, quite militant with my timetable. What, is I always like that? No, but the Lord has had to shape that in me. I know with my exercise on my diet and my wife is my best accountability partner, hallelujah, because if she wasn't there, I'd probably be five times bigger than what I am. In all honesty, I like food too much, people. (laughs) It all looks sweet. But when you're carrying it on your body, it's kind of sour, right? Gets in the way. Oh, dear me. Now getting, I don't ever want to get on the treadmill. But I have to do it. Spiritual discipline. Setting time aside for the word, for worship, for prayer, for fellowship. Staying disciplined. I preached a message a couple of months ago about not actually worshipping your Australian lifestyle before your own relationship with God. And that is, yeah, you may have something better to do on a Sunday, but you should be in church. Again, I always talk about balance. Yes, we go away for the weekend or we have holidays or we've got a conference here or we've got trips there or we've got something on that sends us out of Brisbane. Well, that's great. We cheer you on. We're praying for you because that's part of your promise. But when you're in Brisbane, you should be connected to your local church and you should be here under the word, under worship and supporting one another. Discipline. Oh, you know, just like to do whatever I want, whatever I want. That's real freedom. No, it's not. It's a lie. The truth about freedom. The right way. What is sweet, seemingly, actually, usually turns sour. And what we think is, oh, do I have to be disciplined? Will actually turn sweet. The truth about freedom, misconception number one. Many people think that serving oneself is freedom. What I feel like doing, my desire right now, I'll go with that. Serving oneself, that that actually gives you freedom. The truth is that freedom from God is slavery to the power of sin. So freedom helps to break off 
the slavery to sin. The slavery to sin is just doing whatever you want. John 8, 34. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is in is a slave to sin. Now, what we mean by this, if you look at the scripture and you look at the Greek in the New Testament, okay, it doesn't mean if you make a mistake and you sin that you're a slave. Because when you make a mistake, that's when you come under grace and you, you repent, you turn away from that, you ask the Lord, you stay in right relationship with the Lord, and then he sets you free and he says, okay, come on, you're better than that. I want to encourage you not to make the same choice again. But a slave to sin is what? Habitually. 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 When you make choices over and over and over, it becomes a habit. You know, research shows that it takes 60 days to form a habit. So when you make a sinful choice, but you keep making it, you deliberately are choosing to do it, over a period of two months, it will then create a sinful habit, and that is what you become a slave to. Good news is, everyone say good news. The power of God is mightier than the power of sin. That's why when we get disciplined spiritually, we press into the word, we pray, we get around other believers who can help us to break through, you can break off the power of that habit, and you can shift out, and you can come into a place of actually, now you have to birth what we call good discipline, right? Good choices. That actually then over 60 days, come on now, I'm talking to you practically. How do you shift out of that to this? You have to build your spiritual muscle and start getting into the word and praying and making the right choices so that you build a spiritual discipline because that actually then means, yes, you're a slave to righteousness, but that is what sets you free. That's what sets you free. The problem is, is when our desire and hunger for the initial sweet tasting of sin is greater than our hunger and desire for the long-lasting sweetness of true freedom. That's why sometimes... It takes the shift from the initial sweetness to the actual consequences of the sourness that comes from being slave to sin to finally motivate someone to cry out for help. That's what happened to me. From 18 to 21, watch this. From 17 to 18, I was a pretty... From 17 before, I was a, wasn't a Christian, but I wasn't making silly, stupid choices. I used to have like a, you know, one beer at a high school party. I was actually a square at school. Because mum and dad gave me a real incentive to do well. Okay, so I was like, okay, cool. But then, when I left high school, mum and dad divorced, and it brought confusion into my world. And I rebelled. I hated cigarettes. I started smoking just to rebel. I'm like smoking them in front of my parents, going, yeah, I've smoked before. And I'm like, (coughs) 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 yes, it's cool. Within two months, I was buying a packet of cigarettes every day because I was addicted. It became a habit, and I still didn't even like it, but it was a habit. I'd now become enslaved to this thing called cigarettes. And I smoked a packet of cigarettes from then for another three years. I started not just having a beer at a party. Now I was in the United States, and I'm 
high school parties where it's called jungle juice. It's a whole big trough and everyone just brings their spirits and I've got, you know, the red plastic cup. You know the movies where all the high school parties red plastic cup? Well, that's, that's all they sell in America, plastic cups. They're red, so it's true. And so you, you get given your cup and you, you basically go to the trough and you just go, and we all just drink out of the trough. You're absolutely smashed. And I kept doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that month after month after month over 12 months. I explored other types of drugs. We won't go into detail because there's not a drug seminar. <laughs> but drugs that make you look at the snow outside, it turns into little characters going, <laughs> So you can kind of understand it was interesting, right? For a moment, it was sweet. It's fun. I'm free. <laughs> Came back to Australia, depressed, confused, insecure, bound up. I mean, I couldn't go 10 minutes without a cigarette. I'd work with the exciting focus of the weekend. I couldn't wait until around 10.30 Friday night because I worked in a hospital. Like, it's like 10.30 Friday night, 10.30 Friday night, 10.30 Friday night. <laughs> because why? Because then I get to put that ecstasy tablet in my mouth. I can't wait because that's my escape. That's my freedom. Absolute slave. And so I had to invite the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, into my life. And I got to that place where my life was so sour because I knew I just couldn't in my own strength break out of what had become my, my prison. And so that's where it became so sour that I had to cry to this God that I wasn't even sure was real. Say, God, if you're real, I need you because I just can't do this anymore. And then God came into my life. And over a period of months, there were things that just dropped off miraculously. But can I tell you this? The key is that the Lord has grabbed a hold of me with both hands and said, You are a disciple of the Most High God. You are a disciplined soldier in my army. You are a successful, victorious, consistent, organized Deliberately disciplined man of God. Am I perfect? No. Do I make mistakes? Yes. But can I tell you, that is what you've got to get into your world. Now, not all of us are called to do the same thing. We've all got different assignments from heaven. But can I tell you, I don't, I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 19 in this room. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're artistic and creative or I don't care if you're analytical and business focused. I don't care if you're an athlete or I don't care if you're just a fantastic gas bagger and your focus is about talking and loving people. I don't care what your call is. God does. I care about it, but I'm not saying it's important right now. What I'm saying is important is that you've got to catch whatever you are or whoever you are, whatever you're called to do, you are called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a disciplined man or woman of God in the body of Christ because that's a key that will birth you into freedom, true freedom, true freedom. Misconception number two is many people think that serving God is a loss of freedom. 
Many people think coming to church every Sunday is a loss of freedom. That's a lie. I'd like to stop my foot, but I don't want to be too aggressive. I shared last Sunday, Vision Sunday, that six months into becoming a Christian, I got to go down to Sydney, and I walked into this place that was the house of God, and it was amazing, full of life, the word, the worship, presence of God. It was brand new to me. Can I say this to you? We've got to catch that there are people out there who are broken, who are enslaved to sin, who don't even know that the house of God is actually where the alive, life-giving, living God dwells with believers. Do you know most people think the house of God and church is a dead place? Come on. When I went into that place for the first time, I was like, why has no one else told me about this before? This is amazing. My heart fell in love. My heart was already in love with God, but my heart in that moment fell in love with the house of God. Are you in love with the house of God? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. Do you see the house of God as a burden to your timetable? If you do, you need to have an appointment with God and sort yourself out because you're not in the right place in terms of your thinking. To be able to partner with the one true God to build his church on the earth where he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against it is one of the most exciting journeys that you and I can be on. And it's about us being impassionate about things. Is living a disciplined life easy? No. Is there a price that you have to pay? Yes, but life is sweet. Life is sweet. Isn't it, Seth? Life is sweet. Discipline actually creates freedom. You know, Jesus, in his own words, when others ask, Who's in the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's the greatest among us? It was the very disciples that asked this question. They wanted to know. God, how do you see greatness? And he said, the greatest among you is the last, meaning the servant. So being great is being a servant. Being greatest is being a slave. Finding your life, the Bible says, is laying it down. Having power means to first surrender. Your freedom comes from being a disciple, being disciplined. All of these things relate to each other. But you and I have to work hard, and that's why I feel the Lord has asked me to bring this with you. You and I have to work hard in making sure that our thoughts and our hearts stay in alignment to the truth. Because I believe that there's a very strong, strong sense of um, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is, to to be honest with you. But a very strong pull against the local church today. That it impedes too much to commit to the local church. 
to be a part of the local church on the earth today. It, 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 it impedes too much on my life. It impedes too much on my time. It impedes too much on my lifestyle. Can I say this? What I love about the house of God, and therefore what God does through the house of God, is I've seen people, not only when they commit to the local church and get involved and help out and attend regularly, I've seen God amazingly reward people. Because actually by committing to the household of God, of faith, they become more disciplined, they become more ordered, they become more structured, and it actually blesses every other area of their life. You see people come in, they get structured and ordered, they know who they are, they get more confident, then they meet a potential lifetime partner, and then they get married. All these wonderful things. I've seen people who've helped out, and where they've helped out, I've seen people who've served in a cafe, then start a cafe business, and God's blessed it, because they learned just excellence and principles about servanthood from their church team, and then God opened the door of provision and promise for them in the marketplace. I've seen people who've come under leadership training of their local church pastor who've used that to then actually be elevated as a leader or a manager in, in their workplace and be promoted because they were on time, punctual. They were excellent. They got, in, they got a discipline in their life that they were actually becoming like Daniel in the Bible, 10 times better than the people that were in the boardroom that, that were of the world among their bosses. Come on now. There is, there is something powerful when it comes to discipline in your life. There is reward and it builds sweetness in your world. Now, I'm not going to say share this because I know that human beings, we're way more important than dogs. I love dogs. I'm a dog lover. We don't have a dog in our life right now. But I'm not going to compare us to dogs, okay? Everyone say, Pastor Brad isn't comparing me to a dog, okay? Let me just put that there. Okay, now over here, all right. But this is an analogy. You know, when you look at dog owners, and when they just allow a dog to do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, trying to treat it like a human being, right? Dogs to flourish need structure, order, and hierarchy. If a dog's just allowed to do whatever it wants, it gets confused, and it either gets aggressive or misbehaves. It becomes unruly, and it doesn't flourish, and actually loses confidence. Now, you and I are not dogs, but there is some truth there also for us. When we think that we, should, we can just do whatever we want, whenever we want, we don't have any discipline in our lives, we actually, confusion starts to come, lethargicness starts to come. Our life actually starts to get disordered and we lose confidence. I want to share some scriptures here. Proverbs 29.15, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. Ouch. Proverbs 25, 28. People who cannot control themselves are like cities without walls to protect them. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Hebrews 12, 11, Discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, However, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James 1, 2, 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our last point here is embrace discipline. Embrace discipline. I'm preaching to myself today, church. I've gone into this season and the Lord said to me, hey, you were disciplined here and here and here. It's kind of gone a bit wayward. And the Lord said to me, so what, what's, what's the fruit of that? And I went, well, um, frustration, uh, feeling like things are delayed, uh, not quite breaking through, feeling like I'm going around in circles. And he said, okay, good. So what are you going to do about it? And I said, oh, I don't know. And he said, your answer, I don't know, is coming from your misunderstanding of really what will come from discipline. I said, what? Have you ever said that to God? What? What are you on about, Lord? The more I prayed into it, he said this. You have lost the revelation of how beautiful the blessing that comes to your life is when you are disciplined, Brad. And the reason why there are some things that are not as sweet as you'd like them to be is because you've become less disciplined in certain areas. So he said this, I love you too much to allow you to stay in that place of frustration. And I love you too much not to give you the key to break through. So this is the key. Identify the areas where you've kind of decided to just, you know, that freedom really is just, you know, uh, just do whatever you want. And set some fresh boundaries and be very clear on what you're going to do. Now watch this. Rest, relaxation, and recreation is so important. So what I'm not saying is we will become like militant robots. And But you know what? You need to have discipline when you plan your holidays. You need to be disciplined in planning rest. And you need to be disciplined in planning your relaxation. Who knows that? But when you do a whole lot too much of it, then the pendulum swings. And then if you don't do anything at all, you burn out. So you need to have discipline also in that area. And so I'm preaching to you the message that the Lord shared with me about how it's important for us to embrace discipline. Structure creates discipline. Discipline creates healthy human beings. People require structure and discipline in order to be healthy. Having no structure is one of the most unhealthy things you can do to a human being. Human beings, when they have no structure, become unhealthy. If a human being has no structure, what will they do? They'll eat what they want, drink what they want, do what they want, and doing one or two of these things all combined too much will, combine, will create disharmony and create an unhealthy environment. There was this question. I was watching a, like a conference, and this person asked this question. I have this thing where I'm not sure if I want discipline or freedom. So sometimes I'll let the discipline slide and I feel great for a few days and then it just goes bad because I have no discipline. How do you deal with this? And this expert responded said, well, this is the expert. He said, I'm a former drug user. He said, I understand firsthand what you're talking about. That my desire for freedom led me down the path of drugs in an early age because I wanted to do whatever I wanted and I couldn't be told, he said. And the very thing that I wanted created all those issues. And in order for, for me to have freedom, I had to bring structure and discipline into my life. 
The ultimate key to freedom, I found out, he said, was I had to embrace structure and I had to embrace discipline. And he goes on and he said, because structure and discipline creates freedom. He said, but unfortunately for most of us, we don't associate structure and discipline for freedom. We see structure and discipline as an inconvenience, as an obstacle, as something that we're being forced to do. On the day when you're very tired and your discipline says for you to get up at 5 a.m., this is another question that was thrown at this discipline expert. Okay, so on the day when you're very tired, right, and your discipline says for you to get up at 5 a.m. or whatever, and you feel like you're not free because you have to stick to that time and get up at 5 how do you deal with that? This was his answer. You do it anyway. You get up at 5 and you do it anyway because it's the habit. The structure and the discipline create the habit. The habit sets you free. He went on and said, structure means this. It's what I have to do and when I have to do it. That's structure. Everyone say structure. What I have to do and when I have to do it. Discipline means I force myself. I focus myself. I ensure that I will get it done. And he went on and said, after 60 days, approximately research shows that if I apply structure and then I back it up with discipline, within 60 days, it turns into a habit. Everyone say habit. And now that it's a habit, he said, you do it more unconsciously or more what we call on autopilot. And he said, the autopilot habit, and he even referenced God. He said, the human beings, if you look at science and psychology and how the brain's wired, that you and I have been created and designed to actually be able to birth in habits, spiritual habits, habits so that we can do things and make decisions more on autopilot because they've been birthed as a strong, good, healthy habit. And he said, he went on and said that it's the habits that you, des- you decide to build in your life through structure and through discipline that break you out of that wrong sense of freedom. I can do whatever I want when I want. No, I've got to get structured. I've got to get ordered. I've got to get discipline, which will birth me into good, healthy habits. And over time, those habits create freedom because I don't have to so force myself to do it. I actually naturally want to do it and I want to do it consistently and therefore freedom comes from it. Freedom. Real freedom. Everybody wants to have freedom but some people are not willing to put the structure around themselves And apply the discipline that's required in order to be set free. Structure plus discipline equals freedom. I'm going to ask one of the musos to come as we close. A couple of things I want you to think about as you go into your week to apply this word. And we're going to come into a time of prayer. Different areas of discipline to provide freedom. Spiritual discipline. The word, prayer, worship, fellowship. Have there been any of those disciplines that you've seen? Well, if I apply that, that that actually steals my freedom. Need to change our thinking, perhaps. Financial discipline. What we earn, what we save, what we invest in, what we give. Thinking about the discipline in our financial worth. If we think that those disciplines mean that we can't do this and we can't do that, over time, church, financial discipline will taste very sweet. 
a lack of discipline in your finances. Credit card here, credit card there. May seem sweet. Oh, look at the Discipline. Time and organization and priorities. Physical discipline. Exercise, diet, physical desire. Mental discipline, our thinking. Emotional discipline, our focus. Relational discipline. Now, Sarah and I will always have a date night every week. And you know what? Date night doesn't mean you have to bank, break the bank. Date night could be a picnic rug in the living room with two candles and a pizza and a movie. But relational discipline. And if you're not married, boundaries in relational discipline. And even rest, relaxation, recreation. We have to have discipline around making sure we're doing those things. We're taking time to rest. We're having relaxation time. We're having fun time. We're playing some sport or we're going on a holiday. Or you know, It's amazing how many prophetic words have been over married couples. With a prophetic word, and this I'm talking about over the five or so years at Forever House. And married couples have been encouraged through a prophetic word where the Lord was encouraging them to just go on a holiday. Where people just don't discipline, even rest in their life. My encouragement to you is to think on these things. Because the Lord wants us to become aware that what we sometimes we think is sour actually is very sweet. And what we think is sweet actually ends up being sour. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, pour out in this place. Lord, fill us with your love. Lord, we need you. We need your love, God. Love on us this morning, God. Beautiful Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. But your word says that you want to see us have more of a sweet taste in our life than a sour one. And Lord, even though sometimes the word comes and it can be tough love, Lord, it's because you truly love us that you're helping us through your word. Father, I pray and I decree, Lord, for a supernatural activation of discipleship in our community. Lord, that we're disciples. Lord, we're men and women with big hearts, amazing dreams. We're hungry to grow, Lord. We're hungry to know you more. We're hungry, Lord, to come into your promises for our lives. Lord, we want to take dominion. Lord, we want to break into new areas in, in our life. So, Lord, we reach out by faith in our hearts today. And we say, Lord, with this word, activate. Lord, that revelation, that discipline gives us freedom. Discipline helps us set us free. Lord, where some people have been running away from where they need discipline in their life because they think it's an inconvenience. Father, break that off right now and bring that shift where it's required in their mind and their heart. Lord, birth a hunger to be disciplined. Birth a hunger in our lives to change. Lord, we worship you.
this place. I just want you to stand in this place. Just lift your hand to this place. For those of you who are new or maybe wondering why we lift our hands, the Bible says that lifting your hands has many advantages. One is it's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of how we position ourselves. And so I just want us to lift our hands and surrender to the Lord afresh because of this word this morning. That when we surrender to God, it's a starting point to releasing us into freedom. And also there's some physical benefits. Even the way God's designed us, the Bible teaches scientifically, as we lift our hands, that positioning releases hormones in our body that reduces stress. And so even as we go to worship God, we lift our hands. There's a supernatural thing as we're positioning our hearts under God, but there's also a physical benefit to it. And this is a great way to position ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Beautiful God, we just worship you, Lord. We just praise you, God. Lord, this morning we surrender ourselves. We surrender our lives afresh to you. And Lord, we pray that you would release a power from on high. Holy Spirit, through your anointing, release power right now. Lord, we can't live a disciplined life without your power, Lord, without your strength. Lord, not our might, not our strength, but Lord, by your anointing, Jesus. Your anointing, God. I just hear the Lord say this as we're finishing. Just receive of my anointing. Don't wait for the goosebumps. Don't wait for the feelings. Receive it by faith. Hear God saying, I'm pouring out and I'm releasing a new anointing today to raise you up, to strengthen you, to establish you, to set you free. As you proceed to make some changes and adjustments and put some fresh boundaries in, as you set the goals that I've laid before you, says the Lord, and you prioritize and you focus, as you press into my word and as you pray, says the Lord, I'm going to release a new confidence, a new boldness. I'm going to start to break you open into new results where things that have seemed sour in the past are going to turn into sweetness, says the Lord. I'm going to help some people who've been disorganized in areas to become organized in order. I'm releasing a blueprint from heaven, says the Lord, of structure and focus. Now is the time. Now is your set time, says God. It's time to run. It's time to run forward. And I'm breaking off the shackles. And I'm breaking off the hindrances. And I'm breaking off some of the false identities that you're disorganized or that you're not good enough or that you're not organized enough. God says that with me, nothing is impossible. And it's in this hour and this time, says the Lord, that I'm causing you to lift up your eyes to me, to take in a deep breath, 
to fill your lungs with fresh air, says God. And it's now time to run forward with a mighty boldness. I'm tearing off the shackles of shame, says God. I'm ministering to areas of brokenness and rejection. And I'm setting people free. This is an hour in which I'm moving more than I've moved in quite a while, says God. I'm wanting some shifting and some shaking and some shaping to happen quickly. And it's all for your benefit, says the Lord. Now is the time. Do not look back and do not look too far forward. But keep your eyes set ablazed on me. Because in this hour, says the Lord, I'm going to set you on fire. I'm setting you on fire. And I'm empowering you with my dunamis spirit. So you can run unhindered. Beautiful God, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we we love you, God. We just love you, Lord. We just honor you in this place. We thank you, Lord, that this is a season where you're causing your people to advance. In Jesus' mighty name.